Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Bruskin. I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action of Wisconsin. And welcome to another week from Wisconsin. And we have our full panel, which means Jorna Taylor is with us. Jorna is a nonprofit consultant here in Wisconsin. Jorna, good to have you again. Good to be here. It's good to have you back. And Robert Craig is always our Executive Director here at Citizen Action. Robert, welcome. Good day, everyone. So, again, we are Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Um, we have to talk Foxconn this week. We spent last week, we talked very briefly about Foxconn, we sp- and the issue has only heated up this week. So today, we are going to start the show with a special guest. We have uh, one of the leading critics so far uh, of the Foxconn uh, proposal or project, such that it is, and that is Representative Jonathan Brostoff. Jonathan, thanks for joining us today. Yo, happy to be here. So, Jonathan, uh, this thing seems to be steamrolling at a light speed pace, Mm -hmm. and you are one of the early critics uh, in the legislature Mm -hmm. to come out in opposition to the deal. Tell our listeners a little bit about why you're taking this position. Well, we could talk about the environmental degradation that this is going to bring and I think that's a deal breaker on its own. We could talk about the fake numbers that they're putting out that no one can verify that we're going to end up spending generations of money that we don't have and that if we did spend could go to much better causes. We could talk about all the uh, broken promises when it comes to these long-lasting jobs and these payoffs that have happened that end up in automation or outsourcing anyway. And we could talk about you know this kind of crony capitalism that has unfortunately kind of uh, uh, come into our, our economy and our society and has kind of taken over. But before all that, I think the, the biggest question on the table is, is this a path we want to go down? Meaning, do we want to have to pay off companies who threaten to go other places and pit states against each other just to open up jobs? Do we want the government to put its heavy hand into the market and intervene, pick winners and losers, and is that a path we want to go down? Even if some perceive that they're going to get paid off for it or benefit from it, fundamentally, principally, is that something that we want to engage in? I don't think so. So before any of the details, before we realize you know, how, how many other uh, you know, kind of nuances there are to this incredibly complicated 3 to $4 billion deal, we have to ask ourselves, is that a path we want to travel down? I say no. I'm fundamentally opposed to it, and I think that we'd be better off if we had more people, especially uh, you know, in Wisconsin, where we have kind of a progressive tradition speaking out against that sort of, uh, you know, sort of deal-making, because at the end of the day, the winners are these huge multinational companies that come in, suck everything up, and have no loyalty to us, and leave, and the losers are everyone that has to pay for it and subsidize it. Now, after my statement, you know, saying we have a better opportunity to reinvest our money in actual economic development that actually is proven to bear fruit, now we're getting all the details that show every day it seems things come out, it's getting a worse and worse deal, but... Even before we get into that, we have to ask ourselves, do we want to be in the business of bribing companies to come just because they ask for it and just because that's the context, or do we take a stand? So it is fascinating that uh, we're always told there's no money, there's no money for schools, mm-hmm. there's no way for universities, tuition has to go up, mm-hmm. students have to have huge student debt, we can't invest in northern Wisconsin as people, young people leave because there is an opportunity enough there. Yet 
when a big multinational corporation with a history of lying, mm -hmm. a history of labor abuse, like yep. suicide nets outside yep. one of their factories in China, and, uh, and lying about coming places like Pennsylvania where they didn't, comes, we all of a sudden have $3 billion. Right. And by the way, there are claims about how many jobs there'll be, uh, how much they'll, 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 they'll pay, and the administration cannot provide these, the Legislative yes. Fiscal Bureau. Correct. Uh, and, we, and we have an administration that literally has had so many problems with its jobs agency and keeps saying they're fixed and having a new CEO runs around in limousines saying they're fixed. I'm not kidding about the limousines. It's literal. Yeah. And, and paying for sports cars. Yeah. And uh, the last audit still says is that you should not take any of which Connect Development Corporation's job claims seriously in their website because they do not have a system for actually verifying that jobs were created. And Correct. by the way, tax money's moving for that, Correct. right? And so when Walker says, oh, don't worry, they won't get any money unless they create the jobs, that, they, he's shown no ability to do that, right? In fact, because he doesn't want to, right? Absolutely. And, and furthermore, you can automate later, as you and others have pointed out. Absolutely. And this, this company actually prefer to have no workers and Correct. have all robots. And then the environmental issue, right? Where we're going to exempt one company with all the environmental laws. We don't know where it's going to go. It's going to be bigger than 11 football fields. Absolutely. We don't know what it'll do to water, to wetlands, to anything, right? And this is our economic development policy. But here's the question I think we should ask, and we plan to dig into this. I'll bet you we could show that even if you um, take all of his job claims and numbers seriously, Governor Walker, mm -hmm. right, mm -hmm. that $3 billion create a lot more better jobs Absolutely. all over the state, spent a different way. 100%. And at the very best, giving them the benefit of the doubt. This is like what no 401k or kind of financial advisor would ever tell someone. It's putting everything into one stock. Correct. Even if you think that's a good stock, you could be wrong versus a statewide investment of $3 billion that creates sustainable opportunity for everyone in the state. Absolutely. And, and also what happens when we continue to, I mean, government is there to make things fair. Government's there to make things fair, and whether we're talking about school privatization or environmental privatization or any of these other big privatization efforts, the goal is exclusively to make a more money for the few, for these school voucher sellouts you know, who want to take our money and fleece our community, for these environmental sellouts who want to destroy our environment and have no regulations so they can do things as cheap and harmful as possible, et cetera, et cetera. But government is there to keep things fair. And the unfortunate situation we find ourselves in is that Wisconsin, which has a strong history of great public schools, of a great university system, of great environmental protections, which actually creates an environment where businesses want to move. And we look at other great businesses that are, you know, kind of homegrown in Wisconsin who didn't have to bribe to come here. That's why they're here. And because we have a great lake that we need to protect. So again, do we want to go down this path of just bribing and privatizing or bribatizing, I guess, or do we want to say that we're going to actually invest in the government that keeps things fair, that keeps things equitable, and that levels out the playing field so we can actually have competition? And to your point uh, on WIDEC, I know we'll, we'll dig into it a little bit more, but I just want to point something out that's in the language of the bill that has been rushed through so quickly a lot of people didn't even get to see. And I want all the listeners and everyone to please read it, please take a look, and please share this on your social media because it's really important. Now, WIDEC, as you pointed out, who has a terrible track record, even on deals, you know, like a couple hundred thousand dollars worth, let alone something this big and this complicated has a terrible track record, but now what we're saying is that with this bill, WIDEC is not actually required 
to initiate the clawback procedures. They do have the authority, it's within their authority to decide if they want to do so, but they're not required. And that may as opposed to a shall is everything because we've seen their track record and it's abysmal. And this is also with like really, really small, not as complicated deals that we're continuing to pay for because we didn't get those clawback provisions handled correctly. What about something that's three to four billion dollars? So to your point, I think WIDEC has absolutely no credibility, but they're given all the authority and all the discretion on this. Uh, WIDEC may do something. There's a lot of things that WIDEC uh, shall do that they haven't done over how many years. Um, you know, I've joked in this podcast before that I would like this direct line for all my smashed iPhone and uh, iDevices screens, but this is really a fantastic um, cluster, and particularly when you look at the number $3 billion, I I feel like... You know, the average Wisconsinite can't wrap their head around what $3 billion actually means. It's such a giant, you know, number that it seems sort of um, like that Austin Powers movie when he's like, $3 million. It's only three, John. <laughs> right. It's only three. So, so there, the actual implications, I don't think, are yet sinking into the average taxpayer and what that's going to mean. And there's really no guarantees that it's not going to be more. And then on top of it, that... It, to, to your point, it actually will be more, necessarily, because there's also provisions in there that say things that is not getting in the media, it's not getting published for some reason. But, for example, there's also something in the bill that says WIDA can give an additional tax incentives that are worth up to 10% of the capital expenditures. So we're gonna ha- So this is going to be close to $3.3, $3.4 billion. This is not even going to touch the surface when you're talking about the $3 billion. We're on the hook for way more. And then you have the five zones they're creating. So exactly, this is going to be way more expensive. Well, and I think that, you know, politically, uh, this is very convenient right now. We've got a uh, hot race shaping up in the first congressional district where suddenly this plant is going to land. There's now rumors of another plant in um, Dane County, potentially. Pick your pony. Pick your pony. Uh, You know, so I... This is a really great deal for Foxconn. I mean, come on now. We're going to just beg them in an election cycle to come on and create jobs that, you know, like Pennsylvania may actually never take place, but we'll guarantee some re-election for some folks. So, um, you know, I just feel like we're getting the real short end of this stick. So let me ask you this then, because I am in a different world. As an elected, I got to kind of get outside the bubble and not be around so many politicians all the time. As someone who's, you know, from a different perspective, what would you say to the Democrats who are pushing this? Well, I think, obviously, as you've pointed out, we, we need to talk about job creation, but real investment in job creation, and that there have to be protections, and we can't just give sweetheart deals to companies and beg them to come when it's not economically smart. You know, Citizen Action has, and certainly tons of other nonprofit and progressive partners, have been doing a ton of work on smart investment and green investment and good jobs with livable wage. And so that's, I think, the most important message that Democrats can have. So we got to take a break here. We're going to be back on the other side with Representative Brostoff. We're going to spend a, a little more time diving into this. So welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. We are Citizen Action Wisconsin. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. We are joined by Representative Jonathan Brostoff, who has been one of the leading critics of the Foxconn deal that, uh, as we record Thursday, uh, will be having its first public hearing, a very (laughs) rushed public hearing, uh, this afternoon, which uh, the representative will be at. Um, before the break, uh, Jorna, you brought up the specter of politics, and Jonathan asked about, like, so what do I say to my Democratic colleagues that maybe are supporting this? 
So that raises a good question, Jonathan. The politics, right? We've got the governor's race. Right. We've got uh, Ryan. And we have this pressure to create jobs in the environment. Right. Talk more about the situation you're in with Democratic legislators in this bill, because it's pretty clear the Republicans are going to be pretty much lock, stock, and barrel for this. Uh, oh, oh, yeah. And not, and not just them. I mean, Chris Abley, for example, literally went to D.C. to be in the photo op with Trump to go support him as he was also one of the main advocates for this, Trump, Walker, and Foxconn. And we also have Mayor Tom Barrett. We also have, uh, let's see, Coy Mason, uh, Representative uh, Peter Barca, and I think there's one other Democratic politician who, if you go on scottwalker.com right now on his campaign website, you will see all of their names listed. I don't know if you guys, you guys have already seen that, it sounds yep. like. But if you go, or I know you have, we talked about I've, it yesterday. I've, I've definitely seen it. So to the point of politics and how Democrats are helping get Walker reelected, I think that's what Jordan was saying. You know, we are seeing this literally on the website. You have Chris Abley with this long, gray quote about how wonderful it is being used to fundraise for the Republican gubernatorial candidate. You have Peter Barca, you have Corey Mason, you have these people on with their quotes on and this website. A quote from Tom Barrett. I'm not Tom sure. Barrett. I'm not sure how in context it is. He may have expressed concerns. I just don't know. Well, I, I mean, if, if that's the case, I hope that he'll yeah, speak right. out and say, hey, take my name out there. This isn't correct, and you're misquoting And there are a lot of other like Democrats that. saying they're going to be cautious and look at step by step, so right? Let's, Absolutely. Let's, let's dissect this a little bit, right? So... Part of the problem here is we don't really have an alternative vision of how you create a functioning economy, right? We do, right? And we've talked about it, Jorna. You mentioned in it, right? We and conventional wisdom. In our yeah. current conventional economic discussion, right, the debate is like how, what's the degree of um, how, accountability are we yeah. going to have for what you've described as this, you know, giveaway right. to the corporations? So we know, John, you have a vision, but you can't pull up the Democratic legislative vision for the right. economy. And, uh, if I go online, I won't find that. Right. 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 And, yeah. and so, 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 so there is one. There's a rudder problem. We don't really necessarily have an alternative vision that has been fully adopted, and we need to use this debate Absolutely. to push that forward. We need Democrats and Absolutely. Democrats running for office next year, maybe even governor, Absolutely. to be talking about how the $3 billion could be spent in renewable energy that would create jobs throughout the state and just as many jobs, right? Absolutely. And we would be making that democratically, not just sort of coughing it up to the first, you know, bidder who's coming in and looking to, you know, exactly. scavenge our carcass. Well, and, and, you know, I would say that there has been... Uh, you know, all these conversations happening. I mean, I put out a bill this year to end the failed voucher experiment and put money back into public schools to reduce classroom sizes to no more than 18 kids per teacher in every grade, you know, K through 12 in every uh, public school that needs it across the state. That would expand the SAGE program that they're dismantling now and end the failed voucher program. And I think that's something that if you ask the average Wisconsinite, do you want any, you know, any school that's having some troubles that SAGE is targeted at, not just in Milwaukee, but across the state, would you want to have your kids with no more than 18 kids per teacher? I think that's a pretty simple I, sell. I'll answer that. I just found out Riverside's 40 students per teacher exactly. where my son will be a freshman this year. So exactly. yes, Jonathan, that <laughs> yeah. strikes me as far more important so to our economic the, opportunity. Of the, exactly. of the money we don't have for the schools, it turns out we have $3 billion, exactly. right? Uh, for all these things. And by the way, if you hire more teachers, it's jobs, just exactly. saying. So, and, and at an average, and even if you take the average salary of teachers in 
in Wisconsin, and the average salary, not even new teachers, so it's even a higher estimate of 71000 including benefits, and you hired 500 new teachers, you're still only at $35,500,000. Right. So we still have plenty of money to play with with 500 new teachers, and that would certainly help the burden on parents and students across the state. And I'll say, when I was a freshman in MPS, High School of the Arts, I remember thinking 32 kids in my yeah. class was way too much because I didn't feel like I was getting the individual attention I wanted. For the, it, I had that moment where I had to put my head down, you know, da-da-da, and I, I remember thinking that same thing. And now you're right. Because of the voucher experiment and because of the investment that's been made away from public schools and towards this failed private experiment, all this money has been taken out, so school uh, class sizes increased, and unfortunately situations like what your kids have to deal with in his freshman year are more and more common. So let's talk a little bit more about what this means So in terms of politics also. These are the funders of politics yep. in the Citizens United oh, yeah. deregulated world. Oh, yeah. And for those Democrats who think they want a piece of that Foxconn money, Correct. well, guess what? Maybe you'll get 50 cents, and for every 50 cents you get, Scott Walker gets $10, just to be very clear. And this is what it buys. So when they buy our democracy, they literally own our democracy, yes. right? Yes. And so we already, as a country, give away $90 billion in states and localities being against each other to bring in jobs, $90 billion per year. And so that's why you have crumbling roads, crumbling Absolutely. bridges, not a 21st century education system. College, still only less than uh, less than 40% uh, of, of students ending up with an associate's degree when Absolutely. we think you can't survive it unless you, you're built in the building trade to something without a college degree or at least an associate's degree, right? And so you have all of that. Now, the problem is that the only counter to multinational corporations running the entire world is democracy. Yep. And this weakens democracy dramatically, yep. and we're not even going to have environmental impact statements. Yep. Think of it this way. Even if I want to take their position that somehow we should do this, and this is the most efficient way to create opportunity for people, it's a $10 billion plant I've seen, right? That's what they're saying in the media anyway. That's not what Fiscal Bureau hasn't said that, but that's what they're saying. We're putting in $3 billion of it. So let me take another direction. Shouldn't we own a third of it? Right, exactly. And then be able to and, and have a say exactly. on, how, on how many jobs, how much they pay, et cetera, et cetera. Why don't exactly. we get an ownership stake? Why well, doesn't the public, a regular investor does, if I invest in Foxconn, I, I, I own stock, right? And I'm an owner. Why don't we get, why aren't we owners? Yeah, we're, we're privatizing the profits, but socializing the losses. It doesn't make any sense at all. So I do want to uh, first give a shout out to Jim, Jim Rowan, who wrote a great Absolutely. blog that got Absolutely. the environmental piece moving very quickly and timely. Um, and the organizations that got moved very quickly to uh, raise up around the pollution, the water, all the conservation concerns, WLCV, Midwest Environmental Advocates, the River Alliance. Uh, I assume you'll see some of those folks out today. Yep. Um, so shout out, you guys, really great work. Absolutely. And all the environmentalists who are rising up on this. Also want to mention that the Wisconsin AFL-CIO, we'll put a link to it, has their core principles. They are very concerned that there are absolutely no real standards around these jobs. And so we'll put a link to that. And that is obviously another critical component around the jobs piece. But the main point that I want to switch to before, Jonathan, we let you go is the public and yes. getting people involved in this. Um, we thought the fight for uh, stopping the repeal of ACA was not possible. Some people maybe thought that. Um, it may seem at this moment it's not likely, but there still needs to be a fight. Absolutely. We as progressives need to get out there and make sure that 
were talking to both Republicans and Democrats about this. So your thoughts to our listeners on that. So for the Republicans, first of all, I don't see this as a partisan thing because a core conservative value is not having the government intervene in the free market and pick winners and losers and not saying that they're going to use their weight to pick a company that's going to get these huge incentives. That's not free market capitalism or even the, the ideals behind what they say their values are in free market capitalism. So there's a very easy argument to appeal to uh, the Republicans. Second one for Republicans across state is they're getting a horrible deal out of this. This is, yes, you know, in Robin Voss's district, so for him in the Assembly, you know, they're, they're doing him a huge favor. And yes, there are some political implications for a gubernatorial run, but if you're there to represent your constituency and for principles, this is got to be more than just winning the next election because you are selling out your community. And I think that's an important principle that conservatives across the state would agree with. And I've heard from many who, since I put my stamp down, have said exactly that. Now, on the Democratic side, first of all, just this environmental piece should be a deal breaker. The impact this can have for generations to come when you deal, and especially with these heavy metals and with this sort of environmental degradation that can come, is to me, that alone is a deal breaker, aside from everything else. So get on and make sure you're making calls and thanking those who are uh, you know, coming out on this. But the greater issue is that things like this are going to keep coming, and they'll keep coming at a rapid pace. And the more things like this happen, the more we sell out to these kind of bully, crony capitalists, the more emboldened they'll be. So to Robert's point, we have to figure out that elections are more than just money because it's just about money. Whoever has the most money at the table gets to buy the opinions of the opinion makers, and that's not the way our democracy is supposed to work. So we have to work on ending uh, the flow of special interest money to politicians. And if you have a politician that's selling out, but he's like, oh, well, I'll use this money, or she's like, I'll use this money you know, for the next election, it'll be better. Don't take that, and don't let them get away with it, and hold them accountable, whatever that has to mean and whatever level of severity that is for them, because it can't just be about the money, because if you're willing to sell out for this, you're willing to sell out for that. And this is the worst case of selling out, I think, that people who are just looking at the dollars and cents of it, Republicans or Democrats, uh, that our state will see for generations to come. Representative Rostov, we want to thank you for taking the time to come in, uh, talk with us, and uh, educate our listeners a little bit, and also for uh, standing up. This is um, not the easiest environment, I think, so uh, congratulations. We really appreciate you doing that. Thank you. With that, we'll be back after the break. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. We are Citizen Action of Wisconsin. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Related to Foxconn, we want to remind our listeners that you can submit testimony. You don't have to be in Madison at the public hearing. That is, uh, again, we're recording Thursday. If you hear this on Friday or Sunday when you're listening to us on uh, 1510, please, we're going to have a link here on the website where you can go and submit your testimony to the committee that uh, was uh, held the public hearing on Thursday. And of course, we really want to encourage you to reach out to your state legislators. Uh, one thing before we uh, transition, I wanted to point out that our, our good friend, uh, Jorna Paul Ryan, Yes, yes. Um, it's desperate times for him. It appears uh, he was quick to job, jump on the Foxconn. You mentioned that it's 
potentially being built in this district. Um, he was really quick to jump on the idea that we, there was going to be a second plant build. Yeah, maybe. So Paul Ryan must have inside information. Scott not Walker. Not in his district. <laughs> not in his district. Scott Walker's currently distancing himself from Paul Ryan uh, uh, statements that there's going to be a second one. But um, can we just, as long as we're on Paul Ryan real quick, can we just mention that um, PolitiFact uh, found that uh, there were some claims that he has been asked to hold town halls 600 times, um, mostly true, and it actually was 650 times he's been requested <laughs> to hold town halls. So now with this Foxconn thing, I, I can just imagine that uh, the good speaker will be even more likely to hear from his constituents. Well, speaking of Paul Ryan and his town halls, or lack thereof, uh, he held he was he held a a private quote <laughs> private town hall. That's not right? a thing. <laughs> it's not a alternative thing. fact, Matt. So, and to our folks on Facebook who pointed out when we put private town hall, we were trying to have fun with it. Point out that it's it is not a thing. Very upset. You are correct. There is no such thing as a private town hall at a private business. But so, uh, Mr. Ryan had this private town hall, and. Uh, one of the Republican members there got up and basically said that he was extraordinarily disappointed that they've been unable to accomplish anything, that they were unable to repeal and replace the Affordable Care Act, uh, and that, quite frankly, it appears that uh, they're dysfunctional. So, Robert, uh, repeal and replace brings up uh, our next topic here, healthcare. When we last recorded, we were, it was before the uh, famous uh, moment in the Senate where the uh, two uh, female senators who had been long-standing opposing continued to oppose and Senator John McCain then joined them and uh, it failed. So where are we? Wh where is the status of any efforts, any continued efforts potentially to repeal? Uh, we know Trump continues to be upset and early this week suggesting somehow that he was going to continue to push this. I even met with Governor Walker and some other Republican governors on Monday, I believe, maybe Tuesday. Um, but this thing appears to be dead, maybe. So where does this put us? And uh, both in terms of their efforts, but also what should we be focusing on now as, as, as progressives on this issue? Well, Matt, it's, a, it's been well called a zombie bill. And as all the listeners know, you can never be sure zombies are dead or not, right? So it appears to be dead, but it appeared to be dead before. It did grow down dramatically, but of course there have been zombie movies with dramatic zombie killings and the zombies still come back. Um, it's interesting that McCain at the very last minute, after he and Ron Johnson and Lindsey Graham had a press conference about supporting this deal of the skinny repeal, as long as the skinny repeal would never be actually passed, and then Paul Ryan refused to guarantee he wouldn't pass it, which is partly, and the others went along anyway, including Johnson, but McCain didn't, that McCain was in the corner talking to Pence, being lobbied, then brought out to the ante room to talk to Trump, a man who said he's not a war hero, and then came in and gave a thumbs down sign dramatically and literally uh, McConnell's head drooped, right? Uh, but there's also a little less because that makes McCain sound like a great mavericky hero, right? Uh, to use Sarah Palin's term, uh, verb. Um, apparently, or so I've heard on progressive radio, uh, he actually walked over to, Pol to what, not to Pelosi, to Dianne Feinstein, a noted Democratic hawk, and, uh, and sent Democratic leader Chuck Schumer and said, I'm going to put this wounded dog down, but you better not screw with me on defense appropriations. 
which of course uh, puts this in a little less. Uh, oh, you gotta love Congress. <laughs> yes, yeah, a little, a little less admirable and and mavericky light. But anyway, nonetheless, Trump uh, doubled down and started tweeting that he was going to cut off the payments to insurance companies, the payments they get for insuring more sick people, just to be clear, for not discriminating based on pre-existing conditions. And he threatened to cut off money for the health care for members of Congress and their staff. So he's doubling down. He says he's going to let it implode, but we know he's threatening to cut off these insurance payments because he's actually trying to sabotage it. And that's what his um, health services secretary, Tom Price, and uh, Seema Velma, the uh, Medicaid Medicare director, are trying to do. And that's what Walker and company here in the state have been trying to do as well. And so when we hear the big news that an insurer is pulling out, Molina, which, which, which in Wisconsin that had, uh, provides a lot of Affordable Care Act coverage, then it's like, oh, it's imploding, it's terrible. Well, they said specifically it's partly because they think they get their payments cut off, and they had they end because uh, and they insure a lot of people with health conditions. So that w- that's what this is about. It's about sabotage. And here's the thing. We have a clear answer. We need to go forward overall, like Bernie Sanders says, to Medicare for all. And now the public support for that is overwhelming after this debate with Republicans about their vision for health care future. But in addition, we have a proposal here uh, of opening up badge care to everyone. That is the solution to not enough choices on the marketplace. We could be selling badge care to everyone right now with one change, one word change in state statute. Robert, when you mentioned uh, Molina, and is, uh, for folks who don't know, it, it was announced on Wednesday that they are pulling out of the Wisconsin exchange and that they're actually laying off 1,500 people. Put this in perspective, right? All the pomp and circumstance around 3,000 jobs that we're going to give $3 billion away. Trump merely, in the Republican efforts to sabotage the Affordable Care Act and not actually really propose a serious reform, are, are almost essentially costing 1,500 jobs or just going out the back end, right, with ve- very little fanfare. No, right? they can go work at Foxconn. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, and, and, and so, like, it puts it helps put those numbers, Jorna, before, the 3 billion yeah. huge number we're giving away for, let's be honest, 3,000 jobs is probably the best-case scenario that Foxconn... And by the way, Foxconn's been really clear that that's all they've ever committed to. They, they talk about potential other stuff. Versus fifteen hundred healthcare jobs, good healthcare jobs that already exist, right? Gone, and we haven't even begun to talk about what this does to the exchange, right? When you lose uh, a provider who's, as Robert pointed, been very active in the exchanges and is also very active in Medicaid. And the way to view insurance companies leaving, in Molina's case, Molina's in financial trouble because they went all in on the Affordable Care Act and they've been sabotaged. So this is actually a company that did the right thing. It should not be compared to Anthem Blue Cross, United Healthcare, and Humana and those. When those are leaving the marketplace, they're going other places in the market to find healthy people. Mm-hmm. This is discrimination against people with pre-existing conditions by another name. We had a very simple deal. President Obama did. We didn't think it went far enough, but President Obama said, we will guarantee you this huge market, but you will stop discriminating. And guess what? They won't stop discriminating. So the solution is we don't really need them. We need Medicare for all, and we need Badger care for all. 
So Robert mentioned Bernie Sanders this week. Uh, Bernie did announce that he will be introducing this fall, I believe in September, Medicare for All. Um, and of course, uh, he is also pushing for you know public option on the, on the exchanges. So which is exactly what Badger Care for All is. And so I wanted to segue to that, that um, we are going to be having an extensive campaign around Badger Care for All. We think it's a critical issue. We think it ought to be an election issue. We think uh, Democrats ought to run on it. The governor ought to, uh, Democratic go- gubernatorial candidate ought to run on it. Um, if you are interested in getting involved in this fight, please contact Katie Dunn. Uh, she is our new healthcare for all co-op organizer. Get involved in our new healthcare for all organizing co-op and help us lead the fight to push back. We would like to have uh, public events around the state about this bill and really start to raise public awareness. So please, again, Katie Dunn at citizenactionwi.org, get involved in the fight here for affordable healthcare. But with that, before we go to our break, I want to set the table. We want to spend just a couple minutes talking about Trump and immigration, since because <laughs> there's a lot, it's a it's and it's important. So, Jorna, set the table for us. We we may have to go to the back side of the commercial. To yeah, continue. well, on Wednesday of this week, and our listeners are going to hear this on Friday and Sunday. Uh, Trump unveiled legislation that would dramatically cut uh, legal immigration within the next ten years. I mean, and dramatically by in half. And there's all sorts of other draconian, to use a favorite Robert word, restrictions around that as well. So we're going to talk a little bit more about that on the back side of the break. Thank you. Welcome back to Battleground, Wisconsin. We are Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Before we left, Jorna was uh, previewing uh, this immigration discussion and that President Trump is trying to roll back the amount of people who would be eligible for immigration. Obviously a huge issue. Yeah, so this this week they uh, introduced a piece of legislation called the RAISE Act, or Reforming American Immigration for a Strong Economy. That's ridiculous. You know, we've seen since the beginning of the Trump administration consistent attacks all over immigration, from, you know, Muslim bans to all sorts of deportations and more enforcement of ICE and all sorts of cooperation, trying to force local law enforcement to cooperate with federal agencies to deport people and rip apart families. I mean, it's it's been disgusting. So, We've been experiencing that in Milwaukee over the situation that flared up with the changes to our rules. Absolutely. So this is not just a localized um, thing. It's, it's nationwide, and we've seen attacks on sanctuary cities. And so now... Um, we have seen actual legislation which would cut legal immigration from 1 million to 500 in the next 10 years by 2027. The kicker here, not only is it going to cut legal immigration, it's also going to make it a more, quote, merit-based system that would only allow in supposedly these high-skilled workers into our economy. Now, if anybody's been following along, Farmers all across the country have been leaving crops to rot on their fields. Dairy industry, the dairy industry in Wisconsin and in other agricultural zones is dramatically hurting because there are not enough migrant workers and there are not enough people to actually feed our country and to get these crops to our marketplaces and things like that. This is just yet another, you know, xenophobic attack by the president and his administration to, um, you know, cater to the right wing and their sort of um, specific brand, I guess, of um, so-called patriotism. 
Yeah, no, this is this is exactly that. This is an a, appeal to their base. It makes absolutely no economic sense. It's a it's it's flipped the immigration problem, right? We need to actually expand the amount of people we're allowing in legally and offering opportunities to citizenship. And as you mentioned, the kind of work and employment that we need are, is not necessarily the high end stuff. It's you know th we need to have flows for, as you mentioned, our agriculture and other other industries in order, in this current economy, the way it's structured. And, and it's not just, you're, you're seeing so many stories of so many families that are just being ripped apart yeah. from deportations, and it's not just one here or there, and it's not just in, you know, Texas, it's in New York, it's in Ohio, it's in all of these places, and that is so bad for the fabric of our communities. Real quick, the one thing that you meant when you mentioned that, uh, when they use the classifications, it's a way to keep families from bringing in other folks, mm -hmm. because if they don't have those specific skills, they can't bring additional families, so that, that's actually a critical part of this. Robert? So, and I know Jorna would never make this mistake, but we, in some ways we shouldn't even see this as policy. Uh, he just had the huge healthcare you know, fiasco. He looks very weak. He's the most unpopular president at this stage on, on, on record. And uh, his propaganda techniques are out of P.T. Barnum, right? And so, uh, look over here, let's do something else. And, and also, he also believes, unlike most people elected president, even George W. Bush, that he just needs to appeal to his base. So he's appealing to the excited people who he brags he could shoot someone in the streets of New York and they'd still support him, people, and get them all revved up, even if it's a tiny, it's a fraction, even if it's whatever it is, 17% of the electorate, the, the percent that likes their health care plan. And so Jordan is absolutely right about the implications of this, any economist will tell you that immigration strengthens us, that people want to come to this country is a good thing. We should be really worried when they don't want to come to the country, right? And furthermore, that's been a, it's been a source of strength historically. It's one of the reasons we became such a powerful and prosperous country is all the people that came here. If we listen to the right-wingers in the 1840s, we'll stop the Irish from coming over, okay? And if we listen to the late 19th and early 20th century, we wouldn't have had the Poles, the Italians, uh, Germans, you name it, right? Scandinavians. And so, literally speaking here, um, this is a kind of backward thinking that's even backward for the 19th century, right? And a lot of the people who have this sort of thinking aren't even remembering their own origins. I have not looked into it, but I doubt the Trumps came over as educated English speakers, which apparently is yes, the new yes, standard. Yes, they did. Yes, they, they did, did. okay. Yes. They were PhD-holding English speakers and would Rob, come, you know, Rob, okay, Robert, yeah, good to you know. know. It's, it's, <laughs> it's funny that you mentioned that one of our organizers, Lou Sosa, posted something that actually if Trump was trying to get into the country under the standards he's proposing, one of them being being able to speak English, now, that, he would not, he while, would not make it in while that it's makes be, things to now contribute. that might speak well to immigration restrictions uh, i think the the, 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 that, the 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 one aberrant case doesn't prove the rule immigration mostly strengthens us despite the immigration Absolutely. of the trump family's impact on current politics and so did you did people see the press conference yesterday i saw it from the airport coming back from detroit and it was on you know i was watching because they had that sound down you know the closed captioning uh, but literally the Stephen Miller character who's reemerged, he was like early on uh, notorious over the travel ban, but they've, they've rolled him out again now that they've sacked their communication staff again. And uh, one CNN reporter was interrogating him and asking, you know, is he mostly, is he bi are they biased towards, you know, Northern Europeans when it's English speakers? And he had this tantrum where he said, 
What a terrible racist thing you're saying. There are lots of English speakers elsewhere. They're not just in Northern Europe or Australia. How dare you? I, mean, I know there are folks in India because the former English colony in Nigeria. But please, the, the English speaking is clearly going to overrepresent Caucasian people, right? Am I wrong? Uh, listen, I get nothing. Uh, so... So you mentioned communications directors, Robert. Matt, is is it okay if we talk about the uh, go for the it, debacle yeah. of the the, well, the mooch? I was going to call it an eleven day tenure, but technically it was never actually got. The he was actually like I think job. it was like a negative, negative fifteen or sixteen didn't he day take tenure. Take down Rents Priebus, kind of like in a in a in a suicide bombing where he killed himself in the process. Well, <laughs> interesting. What I, what I think is nice is that you know um, was that Shouty Spice was out. And that the mooch came in, and there was definitely not going to be any hiding in bushes from reporters with the mooch. <laughs> you know, he was just going to put up like a YouTube channel, you know, for all the press briefings or something, and curse at reporters. I think that's great. Um, what What is fascinating to me is that you know he was the co-chair of Walker's presidential campaign, and and did his tenure actually then with a negative deficit of being appointed? It was actually shorter than Walker's presidential run. Oh, I had missed that he was on Walker. That's special. Um, it That's... was also shorter, it would appear, maybe we could split hairs on this, of the David who... Clark's Homeland Security appointment. Yeah. <laughs> Is he the one who blew through all the money and then got fired or whatever? No, 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 no. That was, that was, that was, that was, that was no, no. That but was he, he was part guy. of what they spent the money on. Oh, okay. great. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I mean, so I just, I, I think this is going to be a fascinating, um, pretty soon the White House press briefing room is just going to be turned into like, you know, a pig roast or something and nobody will get to come into well, the no, lunch room. Did, Jorna, did, 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 did this mean Bannon won? Because, you know, the mooch said some horrific <laughs> things about Bannon and Bannon's still around. But then what's going on with the general? Is everything going to be organized now that the general's in charge? Uh, the general's. Uh, <laughs> I think that's nice of you to think, Robert. Well, there's so much to follow in Trump. We could do a whole show on it. We've managed to try to keep it relegated to one of our sections of the show. Uh, Unfortunately, it is... it's more of a psychological case history <laughs> than political science. So it is worth pointing out, I believe this week, Senator Jeff Flake from Arizona uh, wrote a basically uh, an op-ed that said, we, we got to call it here on Trump. This is a disaster. It's an embarrassment. And we need to start to take responsibility for what we've created. Uh, we'll see if there's more than just the sales for his book uh, that Flake will be putting out. But nonetheless, Whoa. maybe we are starting to see who knows well, whether there's this a new is getting Charlie too Sykes, much. There's a new Charlie Sykes book out on the same topic. But, uh, you know, speaking of charlatans, yes. but... I mean, here's the question, right? There were these things in, during the Trump primary, right? And then the Republicans who came out and took the stand had their heads cut off by their base. And the reason most of them won't move is 85% Republican support still for Trump. So it'll be interesting to see whether Flake gets his head cut off by right-wing media and constituents. If he doesn't, then maybe others will come out from under their rocks and say something. I think there's no doubt that he'll get his head cut off by the base. I, I'm not sure that he's running again. He clearly is going to sell some books, though. But maybe it is the beginning of the Trump administration starting to fall apart. I mean, the, the, what Jorna and we just briefly covered in five minutes is a circus that is unbelievable and almost 
you know, like a Hollywood, like Hollywood would have show on Earth. I'm telling you, it's a three ring circus. Seriously, Hollywood would have, if they had written this, would have gotten the script sent back. Like, come on, this is ridiculous. This isn't even believable. So, that is the world we live in uh, here in Trump's world. But uh, before we go, we definitely want to thank our guest, uh, Representative Jonathan Brostoff, for joining us. Um, but I also want to bring back the weekend furlough because it is the middle of August and uh, Jorna. Oh, I know you're teeing this up for me. What are you doing, Jorna, this weekend? Uh, so I am actually on Friday night going to go and see our producer, Brian Wildridge's band, the Wildridge Brothers at uh, Anodyne to see the album release party for Starts at Dusk, their newest album. And I'm going to be slinging merch. So come on by, buy a CD, a sticker, a t-shirt, all the things, and see an awesome band. I'm going to do that, too. That is where I will be on Friday. Robert, and you were going to jump in. where is that again? Anodyne. At the Anodyne on Friday night. I'll see if I can make it. I just got back from two New York and Detroit trips, so I'm kind of exhausted, but hopefully I'll be regenerated for the weekend. I'll, on Saturday night, be up at Door County Fair. Join a year. Your neck of the woods. It's a beautiful little fair. And, uh, of course, they have some dirt track racing on Saturday night. So we'll be doing that. And then on Sunday, I am going to a powwow at the Menominee uh, Nation. We are the Battleground Wisconsin, and we'll see you next week.